2: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends. And holy shit, Dad and I are in the same room for the first time in a year. Dad.
3: Paul, you know how there's that expression that when people talk about the size of things? Yeah. Well, yours is definitely bigger than mine. The microphone.
1: Correct. Great. It's a, yeah, it's... It's huge. You were concerned that it wouldn't... um, I'm suffering from Mike Jealousy. Sure. I know Mike Jealousy. He's a real real jealous guy. You would think that after a year of not seeing each other, the banter would be better. You'd be wrong. Welcome to Loose Unit's Origins. If you don't listen to the show and this is your first time listening to it,
3: God help you. I mean, this must be a weird ramping in point for people, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been tough, but everyone, I'm finally down here in Melbourne, Mm -hmm. sitting in Paul's magnificent new studio, sitting opposite Paul. Mm -hmm. In terms of centimeters from our faces, I'd say thirty centimeters. (laughs) What do you think? Uh, That's thirty centimeters gap
1: between our faces. Fuck, people are like trigonometry is happening right now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dad and Mum got down... For, oh, first of all, how was it actually coming in from Sydney
3: to Melbourne? Was that a weird process? When we arrived at Sydney's airport, um, we flew Qantas, not a sponsor yet. And um, Wouldn't that be great, though? Be good. What, that they were a sponsor? If they were a sponsor... Yeah, I'd only fly Qantas. I do anyway. Right. So You've need to. You've got to play hard to get. True, true. What you've got to say is, do you want me to edit that bit out and you can say, look, if I could, I would only fly Qantas? No, no, I just love Qantas. But um, when we got there, there were police, three uh-huh. police uh, at we were leaving through gate six, huh. And uh, there were probably at least 10 nurses and doctors. Yep. Well, I well, I'm not, I don't know whether there were doctors, but there were people in, in disposable sort of clinical gowns. Mm-hmm. Every single person that came off the plane from Melbourne was thoroughly checked out. So if you see
1: police in the wild Actually, hang on. I was going to ask, if you see police in the wild and you start talking to them, how long does it take, on average, before you start plugging loose units? Um,
3: Well, case in point, in London, uh, I was chatting with a few police, bobbies as they call them, and it took me about 10 seconds to start talking about loose units. Okay. Did you get them to pull up the podcast on their phones? Did you
1: just sort of mention it in passing? Because frequently, when we get into an Uber... Together, you start chatting with the Uber driver and within probably three minutes, you've already talked the Uber driver's ear off about why you're there, which is typically for a live show. Mm. Every single, oh shit. If you attended our Brisbane live show, which was our last live show at the, um, at the sit down comedy club, we did two nights. Our Uber driver on one of the nights was a butcher, if you recall. Mm. And we got out of that car and we were convinced that he was potentially a serial killer who used butchery as a sort of, you know, means to an end. Mm. And you had told him very quickly about the fact that we do a true crime podcast. Yeah. And that's when he started talking about how he would dispose of a body if he were a murderer. Mm. And then we left the thing and we were convinced that he was. Yeah. Um, Unsettling. A little unsettling. But uh, let's wind back to the airport. My apologies. So there's police at the airport. Um, How rigorous would you say the security
3: was? I would, out of 10, in terms of um, rigorosity. Rigorosity. um, I'd give it a 10. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we got on the plane. There were about perhaps 30 people. They gave us an economy. Yeah. Because it's funny in, when you fly, you can generally, if it's a sort of a national, like, you know, you're traveling from state to state, mm. you can always see the people in business class. I think that's part of, the, uh, part of the setup. So they see you... They give you a view of the thing that you could have if you paid more. Correct. Okay. And, you know, we got... One small, perhaps a quarter of a litre of water and a little packet, which was very difficult to open with some, some biscuits. Yep. Um, at least I think they were biscuits. And uh, that was the sum total of what we got in economy. However, in business class flying down, mm. they had champagne. It was basically silver service. So I was fe- feeling a little bit, you know, but then again, it's a short flight. It's like 90 minutes, yeah. Yeah. So then when we arrived, uh, Christine and I, we were moderately... I, no, I won't say we were stressed, but we'd, we'd applied for a special permit to mm. come into Victoria. Mm-hmm. We walked off the plane expecting to be uh, met by lots of medical personnel and, and to go through a fairly rigorous rigorous sort of question and answer. And, and And anyway, there was one guy standing there and I sort of... And he was the only person there and he just kind of waved us through and I went to show him my... Um, my, my permit to enter Victoria mm. And he just waved us through That was the sum total Of us getting into Victoria I like the idea that everyone else Was subject to far more stringent security
1: But because everyone At Melbourne Airport and all the cops are such big fans Of loose units, they recognised you And they channeled you through to a sort of Crowd free area And let you through Because surely if we're trying to avoid You know, people who are sick coming in, then we'd need more rigorous... I don't know. Did you yeah. feel
3: a bit judgy or did No, you... I just thought it could have been a little bit more, you know, um, I guess I, I was quite shocked, Paul, to Okay, be honest with you. Okay. But are you happy to be here? Oh, we're stoked. Without giving away where you and Tegan actually live... Yes. Um, it's, it's an A-grade, fantastic location. It's uh, close to a railway station. In fact, without exaggerating, and listeners know I am moderately prone to exaggeration, but it would be very, very easy... To jump onto the tracks? Not necessarily. I mean, it would be easy to jump on the tracks if you were down near the tracks, but what I was going to say is if I had, say, an ice cream, I could 100% throw it at the train. Why would you do that? I'm not... I wouldn't do it, but I'm saying you could do it. I'm demonstrating how close the tracks are to your apartment. Why ice cream? Well, I didn't want to hurt anyone. Well, if it was frozen... And it accidentally...
1: But you could easily throw a knife at the train. No, that's too much. Ice cream, perfect. No, but frozen. Well, if it's not frozen, it's not ice cream, is it? It's milk. Yeah. Anyway, we have some great questions from listeners, and we so rarely get to do this together that we thought we'd dive through uh, a few questions right now. This one is from... I believe her name was Mandy? Paul, your voice went up. You went, Mandy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm a falsetto. No, I I think it's Mandy. Shit, Mandy, I hope it's your name. And if it's not, I'm sorry. Hi, Paul and John. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I recommended your podcast to my ex-detective uncle. Not sure if he ever ended up listening. Well, gee. Sorry, I had to yawn, and I tried to make it sound natural. Anyway, on your most recent episode, you talked about the theft of Picasso's Weeping Woman. Fun fact, the ex-detective uncle that I recommended your podcast to... He was part of the team that found the painting in the locker, and if I believe what my dad said, was the guy who opened up the locker. Thanks, Mandy. Provided your name is Mandy, in which case, thank you. So, here's a question. If you were a... Do you think many... I'm sitting here going, look, the the uncle thing, that's a perfect cover, right? If you're a cop, surely you'd be better positioned to pull off crimes, right? Mm. Do you think uh, many cops commit crimes? I'm not talking corruption. I mean actual crimes.
3: If I had been in that situation with my love of art, Mm. it would have been an extraordinary experience. What I would like to have done would have been perhaps to have borrowed the Picasso Mm. for at least a few months and had it in my house and admired it and then brought it back. What do you think, Paul?
1: So steal the thing... Have it up oh, you're little... saying I stole it? No, I'm saying if you were a cop, do you think you could have pulled those things off? Because then the next day you could go and investigate the crime and be like, hmm, what kind of dastardly handsome person pulled this crime off? I guess what I'm suggesting is that Mandy's uncle was part of the team that stole the painting. No, definitely not. You don't think so? No, not a
3: chance. Oh. In fact, I dare say that um, on the balance of probabilities without ruffling too many feathers, um, I think most police um, do the right thing. <clears throat> but it would be a great cover... And we also know that at night time in particular, quite often women that are driving by themselves have been known to be pulled over by people impersonating police officers. Oh, Um, as as in the night stalker. Yeah, and then, you know, to to then, once they pull the person over, uh, approach the car under the guise of being a police officer. Yeah. Mind you, if I got pulled over at night time by a car... um, Well, if you got pulled over by a car, that'd be freaky. Yeah.
1: Imagine if a car got out of a car... And took a ticket. Yeah, that'd be weird. Like a smaller car. Hmm. (laughs) God. Maybe a a mini drives out of a bus. Stupid. Okay, next question. This one's a whopper. This comes from Mike. Here we go. Hi, Paul and John. First, happy birthday, Paul. 38 is no age. Oh, this was sent back around my birthday. But you know what? It's your birthday now, so I'm going to reframe that. Let me try that again. Hi, Paul and John. Firstly, happy birthday, John. 61 is no age. I just wanted to drop you a line, not only to thank you on the best podcast out there, that's nice, and keeping me entertained, but as someone who lives over the ditch in New Zealand and as an ex-British cop of 16 years, firstly, Jandals. Yes, John was right, that is the most stupid name for flip-flops, but it is the Kiwi thing. Personally, I'm with you, Paul. They are flip-flops, not thongs. How many listeners do you think have strong opinions about the flip-flop thong thing? Is
3: that a question to me, Paul?
1: Well, I I was
3: looking at you and I asked it in a questionly manner. Okay, sorry, because I was actually looking over to the right at the computer, which is bringing up a sort of a...
1: Oh, yeah, the waveform for the uh, recording, because for once we're in the
3: studio and we're actually, you know... It's very fascinating. So there are many, many distractions for me, listeners. Trains, for one. I can see a train out the window. There's a
1: Lego Millennium Falcon, which is easily three feet long. That's massive. Yep. Uh, Should I keep reading the question? Yep. Uh okay, how many people do you think have strong opinions about the thong flip flops jandals thing? Um, I
3: have think it's an Australian New Zealand thing. Have you softened on the issue? No, not not at all. Because I wear thongs. I think you might wear wear jandals. I think jandals is a ridiculous name. Yeah? that's that's coming from an Australian perspective. Do you want to write a memo about it? No, but I look. You know, it's it's um we are fairly entrenched in our uh, whatever the word is. Um, but thong. I mean if you if you've sort of grown up with a particular uh, word mm-hmm. then it becomes a part of your vocabulary. Thank you for that Einstein. That's a uh, that's
1: true. There's uh, okay, I would love to find out from listeners which words they pronounced wrong for most of their lives because their parents taught them the wrong pronunciation. I fucking love this. Right? You know, you pronounce a word and you go, yeah, that's that's how it's pronounced. You know, like um it's not a very common word, but paradigm is a word that I had to say at university. A paradigm is like an established thing, like, a, like, a, like the normalcy of kind of a thing, right? If you upset the paradigm, you're doing something that subverts and changes the way things are thought about. And I'd seen the word back around early high school, and I pronounced it as paradigm because it's P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M. And I got to university, and was in front of a class, and was reading a really good essay and said paradigm, and the whole room laughed. Like laughed their tits I, off. I would not have made that mistake, Paul.
3: Wouldn't you? No. You you said several words objectively mm, wrongly on this podcast. I don't podcast. know, Paul. <laughs> Paul, I, I think I've, I, I, I don't like correcting you. Yes, but, you do. But I, twice today in Melbourne, uh-huh. you used words that were not quite right. Can you cite them? I don't recall them, but okay. I just re- recall saying on two occasions today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have no recollection oh, of fucking, the actual here we words.
1: go. So we're out with Tegan. And uh, we've got this apartment. We have we, we have a European-style laundry, right? And Dad says, what do you mean? It's a New York apartment-style laundry, right? New York-style laundry. I don't speak like that, Paul. No, it doesn't matter what you said. It's the content of what you said. So yeah. did you say New York-style New York laundry? New York-style laundry. Yeah, and we went, uh, that's not a thing. And so we did some Googling and it turns out it's not a thing. But then dad dug up a bunch of old Sydney real estate listings. It turns out it was a thing in Sydney. And I'm thinking maybe Sydney's got something wrong with it. That's a big call, Paul. Yeah, it is. Tegan's dad says, um, Uh, you know, know, he says, if Sydney didn't have its harbour, what would it be? And then he always says, yeah, but it does have the harbour, right? Which Mm. is true. Anyway, let's keep going. Flip-flops, thongs, whatever. Oh, yes. a Mike goes on to point out that to him uh thong is as bad as americans saying fanny pack and i'm inclined to agree you know a bum bag yeah americans call them fanny packs Mm, I i didn't know that problem is in england a fanny means vagina so it's not really anyway shit true crime podcast let's go also just picking up on the conversation about ticket quotas a couple of episodes ago we talked about the notion that uh traffic cops might actually have quotas to fill if you recall, mm-hmm. I think yep. a listener basically said, look, do they have to fill a quota? Yeah. Yeah. And you said, as far as you know, no. Th- the message continues. In the UK, when I was policing, and this is Mike talking, which was mostly general duties type policing in a large city from 1998 to 2014, we had quotas for our tickets or process as we called it, especially when I was in my two year probation. From memory, I had to give five tickets a week and a number of producers, the form that instructed the motorists to take their docks to the police station within a certain time frame. We even had quotas on certain forms, such as domestic violence report forms, which seems bizarre as we had no idea where we would get them sent on a shift, where we would get sent on a shift. Anyway, the UK certainly had them in some forces and traffic cops, almost certainly had some form of quota too, as well as great games such as snooker. So they would never target colored cars in order. That's cute.
3: That's really cute. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So if you're in the UK,
3: never have a red car. Anyway, cheers and thanks for the great entertainment, Mike. Mike, thanks for that. I'm a little bit sort of, I guess, sad. that, And we've had a few other um, people write in, haven't mm-hmm. we, Paul? We've gone through um, a lot of um, emails and messages in the last hour or so. And there yeah. were quite a few references too. And, and, and I'm sure that some of the uh, the correspondence that we read today has come from current... Are serving police officers in australia yeah and 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 every single person that has written in said, yes, they do have quotas, which I find i'm a little bit disappointed because i don 't understand why you 'd have quotas because you can 't actually do policing without writing tickets isn 't it about bringing in as much revenue as possible i I really if that 's the case i'm doubly mortified i hope not okay and 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 that that police officer who was in England. Mm. Talking about quotas in relation to domestic violence, that seems absolutely bizarre and creepy. I mean, why on earth would... That's almost the system saying that we want domestic violence incidents so that the police can go to them.
1: Or alternatively, it's like, it seems like the police are maybe going, look, this neighborhood's going to have this much domestic violence, so, rather than trying to change the, the the system or, you know, educate outreach, they're like, look, there's going to be this much domestic violence and you should be hitting this many kind of, you know. Yeah,
3: that that to me is, is, is that's quite... Grim. That's actually sort of, well, yeah, I, I almost don't know what to say about that. That's great. But grateful. look, as far as I'm concerned, if you're not doing your job, then I, I just don't understand the quota thing. I mean, I, I do believe, and, and someone out there may correct me, If I'm wrong, but I sincerely believe that parking patrol officers, particularly working for local and municipal councils, definitely have quotas. Um, I've heard of of certain councils offering a bonus system. So, for example, if you, the quota is, shall we pick a number and say, 20 tickets per day, uh, any more than that, they get a, like a profit sharing. Right. Which is diabolical. Because, I mean... Yeah, to me, it's sort of it's it's. But then again, there are people on the other side that just say, "Well, if you don't break the law, what have you got to worry about?" So you know. Yeah,
1: I don't love that approach. No, I mean- no,
3: nor do I. I. I believe the the police forces throughout the world, and and the listeners, I, I just want to share something with you all that you know. I don't react very well with negative um, feedback, and i i i was I got to see a very nasty vicious piece of feedback that was that was sucked out of the system very quickly thank god but it was from someone that had a real hatred towards police and I, and it really really disappointed me because i do know i know it's a tough gig i know that like every profession there are fuckwits out there within these jobs and you know you may say that no matter how you go into the job with what no matter what sort of your aspirations are you know, let's face it, if if like like in loose units, as we're going along on Monday and Tuesdays, um, you know, the, the the forming of my style of policing came about by wanting to do the opposite yeah. of my two buddies. Yeah. So, and I know police. I worked with police that worked with fantastic buddies and that's why in, in the early, the, the formative years... And this uh, ex English police officer, one thing that I did find fascinating was that he spoke about a two-year probation, which is a long time. Mm, yeah. Um, bearing in mind that they don't carry firearms in England, and nor do they in New Zealand. Oh wait, they don't carry. They don't have guns in New Zealand. Well, they have guns, but they don't wear them like we do here. Sort of low slung. You know, like let's face it, in 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 Victoria and and uh, New South Wales. Yeah. The police officers' their uh, armaments, their their firearms are highly visible, mm. which I agree with. And if you're going to wear them, they should be visible in terms of being able to get them out really quickly and safely. Yeah. But but New Zealand and uh, and England, you know, the, the the police on the beat are unarmed. They they have a, a truncheon, I believe, in in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they probably have a a baton in New Zealand. Although someone in New Zealand might like to write in and you know let us know what um you know what they carry with them i I do know that if there's a like a, a hostage or an armed situation like the mosque shooting, mm. you know they can call in um incredible weaponry pretty quickly, yeah, but you know that 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 takes one down the path of would I knowing what I know and how i how I learnt and trained to be a police officer here in Sydney in the eighties, I would not have felt comfortable going out on on duty without a gun yeah so it's a whole it's a fascinating sort of rabbit hole really to go down
1: do you think um one idea that's been floated and one thing that keeps coming up is the notion and it was pitched as a kind of joke that you and i get our private investigator licenses and go solve a crime Mm. logistically would that be something we could do at some point
3: Perhaps now that we've got a little bit of um, credibility behind us yeah um, and if we could meet people that were prepared to share the evidence mm-hmm. with us, um, what do you mean? Well we, we would need access to all the notes. But first of all let's say let's say we had someone in the
1: uh, Melbourne police and you know over at Sydney somewhere who had access to that stuff who were fans of the show and like wanted to kind of support us a little bit. Uh, first of all, do you do you do a TAFE course? Do you apply for a license? Do you do a, like what's the process of actually applying to become a
3: PI? Well, you have to apply because you know I was a fully licensed private investigator. I yes. got my license. And how long were you a PI for? Mm, about a year. Did you do much? Not a lot. I, I did a, a very interesting case. Uh, we're an antique dealer. I think we've mentioned this once before. An antique dealer who lived in an old bank. He had this um, one of the rooms. Um, in his house, which was an old bank, was actually a safe, a walk-in safe. And he had one of the best collections of Japanese tin toys and comic books in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had comics back then that were worth $50,000 and some of the comics that he had back then are now worth half a million dollars. He had an incredibly rare Robbie the Robot, which is the most valuable Japanese tin toy robot ever made. Mm-hmm. They are literally priceless. And someone broke into his house. Into the safe. Into the safe and, and stole his um, robot and comic book collection. And he approached me and said, look, John, would I be interested in investigating this case, the theft of this incredible collection? Because the police weren't that interested. And he, he felt um, he actually provided me with the name of a suspect. And Christine and I, we spent days and days sitting off the suspect's house, but we um, it was all to no avail.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
1: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people
2: today.
3: And I just kind of became a little bit jaded because most of PI work is waiting. Is waiting for those for those opportunities. It's it's hours and hours sitting in in, in unmarked cars waiting, waiting for something that you can put on film mm. that will prove or disprove a particular and it's generated for insurance companies.
1: Right. Okay. And the, the the premise of the cool PI is you're doing a boring, shit-kicking routine job, and you see something that is actually sort of a much bigger crime, and then you are drawn into this web of intrigue, right? So let's say you, you, you're you filming a spouse seeing if they're cheating, and then you see a murder, and then suddenly you have to kind of embroil, embroil yourself and call upon contacts from the police force, because you have contacts, you have investigatory skills, um... I think I'd bring a certain flair to the, to the operation. First of all, how do you actually get your PI license? Do you remember? Or how well, did you do it then? You'd go down to the local court. The and, court? Yeah, and apply for a PI license. But what, what do they do to kind of gauge whether you're worthy of
3: that or not? Look, when I, um, when I applied, hmm. you had to um, be working for a private inquiry agent who held what was sort of called a master license. So we would need to find an agency that would hire us. That's right. Yeah. That's the first step.
1: And a lot of them are ex-police. Right. So are there any listeners? Listeners? Can you hear me? Great. This is a deadly serious thing. If any of you work for or run or know people who run uh, one of these private investigation agencies who would be willing to take Dad and I on, on a retainer, even just for one of your... Like, I don't care if the agency's grandmother's cat got lost three years ago and she still doesn't know where it went. Anything. I want to get dad and I on the books. I want to try and solve a crime with dad. I don't care how minor it is. I don't care if it's town gossip, you know, out at orange. I don't give a shit. I think it would be a really interesting do you think it'd be an interesting experiment? But I mean, let's say, let's say we signed up to to solve a crime, and then someone at this agency said, Look, I've got a missing person's case, and you can you guys can tail along with the with the real investigators and kind of get a get a bird's eye view. And then let's say the real investigator hits it off with us and says can you do this shift of the stakeout and then let's say we see something really bizarre during the stakeout and the other guy's not around and we have to tail someone before you know it we're at a caravan park and there's some you know what i mean like what if we get sucked into this because you can't tell me that all we have done countless hours on this and i know people who listen to true crime think they're all detectives and in a way they probably have you know absorbed some Deductive reasoning from all the time. Mm, you know, yeah. that's one of the appeals of this is you can sit there and watch shit like The Staircase or The Night Stalker and mm. say, well, you can tut at the investigators because mm. you think you know how to do it. Yeah. But I mean, it's the same with cooking shows. You watch these people and sometimes you go, I could probably cook that. And sometimes you probably could. So what's to lose with you and I kind of taking a punt on some real low stakes case and just seeing what it's like? Because you spent your whole career looking for a partner who you thought complimented you. If there's one thing this show has proven, it is that you and I work well together.
3: We do. That's right. You know?
1: Yep. So why not? I mean, I can't drive. That's a problem. Mm. But, you know, i got some moves. Not but dri- you are a backseat driver, Paul. Sure. <laughs> yes, that's true. But, I mean, I, first of all, I think it'll make great content. I think... Can you imagine if one of our listeners a couple of years down the road said, man, someone's gone missing. You know what? I really want to kind of meet the guys from Loose Units and I need this problem solved. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone and I'm going to have... The boys from loose units come over and solve a crime for me.
3: Mm, fascinating. Yeah. Sounds good. Could I wear one of those cool holsters? You wear what you like, Paul? Like uh, a, uh, There'd be nothing in the holsters. Like a, like a phone? Maybe bananas. Bananas. Yep. Yeah. Well, holster, singular. Mm. Two bananas in one holster. Yeah, we don't start talking about firearms because that's...
1: I don't actually want a gun, I just want the holster. Mm. You know you know, when you're in the interrogation room and you know it's like five hours into an interrogation you lean on the table you're like, talk, damn it! And then you've got that kind of... Your shirt's a little undone, your tie's loosened, and you have that kind of cool holster thing
3: under the... You know that thing? Paul, you have an incredibly fertile imagination, which is really important, but 99% of detective work is just tedium. Yeah, but I'm the one who edits this podcast. I get tedium. Mm. What if I could edit the pod... Oh, that's not very nice. No, I'm not but, saying that. Um, I'm
1: saying I talk to you for an hour, yeah. and then I have to go and sit there. No, I understand. And pull it apart, and, yeah.
3: You know, but you know, it's like CSI. It's like any any film on TV, any series. You know, they condense a whole crime into fifty minutes. Uh-huh. Whoa to go, yeah. And it's all, but you don't see any of the, you know, the, the the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, but no
1: one sees the stuff that goes on behind the scenes of this show. True, true. But they, I mean, you know, look, they get this, they get this free
3: podcast twice yeah, a week. But it's it's not it's not. The, the essence of it is that it's it's not the most glamorous work. And, and you know, with missing people, yeah. the terrible thing about that is that quite often you're the bearer of bad tidings. Okay. I mean, you know, like it's not actually that. And what happens if you find the person? What happens if you and I get a case? We go out into the country in sort of regional Victoria. We track down this person that the family haven't seen in, in you know, they just walked out 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. There was an amazing case in New South Wales and they did a documentary on this guy that had walked out of a, hu- a house, a family, and he was living on the side of the Princess Highway. Have you seen that film? No. It was on Australian Story and they tracked him down and he just didn't want to go back home and he loved his life. Now, can you imagine you and I find someone alive, mm. which is always you know, pretty cool, and then... You, you you go and we you and I approach them, and we sit with them and we, and we confide, and they they tell us that you know what I'm really really happy in my current situation, and then mm-hmm. you've got to go back and tell the family who've paid you by the by the way yeah to
1: do all this hard work. Would we not? Um, we'd have to make a judgment call and go: Do we tell them we couldn't find the guy, and yeah, leave, that's that's or you know, woman, or do we tell them, but then also convey that they don't want to be found? Yeah.
3: Mm, tough tough very tough
1: but that's still something as a duo that we could probably come up with better than just you working by yourself i think it's an interesting idea if you think it's a good idea please feel free to let us know i think it's a great idea Uh, before we wrap up this episode of loose ends dad got a message from someone and i think you should read that message now dad
3: okay well look everyone this message came through a few weeks ago and apologies to the uh to the writer, but you'll know who you are. And finally, I get to... uh, This particular person um, wrote two questions. Mm. And the first question is for Paul. And that is, what memories from your childhood do you cherish the most and why? It's
1: really tricky because I wrote about a lot of my memories from my childhood in the books. Um, And childhood is pretty boring, honestly. Oh, yeah, I do... I'm not sure if I've told this story on the show before. But at one point, we had a neighbor who... Do you remember this neighbor who lived near us at the Coachman's Cottage? And he basically convinced Anthony, my best friend at the time, and I. We were like 13 and 14 at the time. He convinced us that there was this weed on the hill near us that could be boiled up and drank. And you would get very high off it. And we were young and impressionable. He was like, guys, if you want to get really high... You need to try this stuff. And he was young and cool and with... Remember Live Around the Corner? Mm.
3: Yeah?
1: What was his name? Do you remember his name? No. Kevin, Tim, something like that. Do you know? You do know his name, don't you?
3: Was he a friend of mine? It was like a neighbor. He lived a few doors oh, along. Oh, he had dark hair. Yeah, he
1: said he used to be a chemist and we believed him. All right, yeah. So we went to the hill and started gathering up, you know kilos of this stuff just really excited that the school holidays were going to kick off with a massive bang we bring all these just sheafs of heavy green leaves and then we have all these burners going on the stove with big pots and we we're shoving this stuff in and boiling this water and you i don't know if you remember this you came in and said what the f- What are you what are you boys doing and we explained what happened and you smelled it and you went that's dill you know the seafood I garnish? Love dill. yeah but you're not going to cough 16 litres of dill water in the vain hopes. I and mean, when we were very ill at this point. We, was, mm. we, were, we were cooling it and then drinking this rancid green dill water. Mm. You were a dill. I was a bit of a dill. Oh. Most of my childhood seems to have just been a litany of terrible accidents and playing a lot of video games. We had this room at the back of one of our houses where I basically set up this little nest and just played countless hours of video games. Um, annoyingly, most of my fond memories from when I was a kid it was me you know, with my head buried in a book you know we'd go to the beach or the pool and everyone would be you know um, off having fun and I'd sit in the car for hours reading you know big thick fantasy novels or just kind of you know for, uh, it was
3: very I was a very insular kid very yeah, shy yeah yeah but Paul um, I remember mum and I used to try and get you to go to the beach when we lived in Manly mm. and you would just to get us off your back yeah you would run literally sprint down to the beach You'd run across the sand, throw your body into the ocean, Uh and within minutes, you were back home and said, There you go, I've done it. And then we wouldn't bother you for at least 24 hours.
1: There were your attempts to actually get me to be an outdoors kid were were pretty funny. Although we did go to um, a lot of the beaches on the northern beaches have massive cliffs on either side. And you can actually, if you want, kind of climb along the the rocks and the Mm -hmm. cliffs between beaches. Well, I'm glad you didn't tell me about that. Oh, you didn't know this? No. So I would go and climb on the rocks. What I was actually doing, we'd go to, say, um, Harbord, and yeah. then I would go to the cliffs and the rocks, and I would basically barefoot climb along the cliffs to
3: the next beach. Oh, that's that's upsetting. And then back. Mm. It was one of my well, favourite things didn't to do. i not know that. Okay, well, look, uh, part two or the question for me uh-huh. is, um, John, as a father, what is your proudest moment of Paul and why? Now... I've been giving this a lot of thought, and um, possibly a story that you've all heard, but I'll just sort of re retell it because it's very um, it left a very sort of strong impression on me. And that was uh, when Paul went to St Paul's Boys' School in Manly, and was a was clearly a brilliant brilliant student, and I can remember in great detail. Going to the Year Ten Awards evening, and Paul was miserable and basically hated going to school because of the bullying, etc. A lot of the bullying Paul didn't tell us about. Thank God. Um, and they started reading out all the, uh, for, you know, for, for who came first in every single topic subject. So all the the basic subjects for year 10 you won all the medals and christine and i are just sitting there thinking this kid has has kicked ass but there was very little recognition at that school for the academic side of things and that was fairly evident by the um non-resounding response in terms of clapping that night in this particular hall as opposed to when they started all the sporting uh accolades because they had a very high-profile football team, football team, but they also had a very high-profile uh, sports teacher. Yeah, uh, that has since died of cancer, so I won't be mentioning him anymore. But um, that whole school, um, St Paul's Manly, back when you were a student there, Paul, yeah, uh, quite frankly, was a disgrace, and. Um, and then you you were so traumatized so you've won all all the academic medals you'd think that school would have and they really need to needed to bolster its numbers mm. you would have thought they would have taken you under their wing and thought this is an opportunity to really you know get some seriously good students in from an academic perspective into years 11 and 12 but um, but unfortunately you were so traumatized we couldn't get you back into school and then you 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 basically left school in year 10 yeah. for a year mm and then went to a uh a state school. So everybody out there listening to this and you can sense in my voice that it's pretty sort of you know it's a very serious topic. Mm. Um even though it's all many years later, but for 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 all you wonderful parents out there and and relatives and uncles and aunts and parents grandparents etc. you know if anyone's battling at school with bullying, um you know it's 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 tough, but Never ever underestimate the power of sort of you know relocating and and talking and and you know we did go to the school at the time and discuss um the situation and 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 they 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 just were not interested they they just um tried to apportion blame um but i you know it's it's sad so you know Paul left for a year then went back to a state school and they, and they get all the accolades you know the ones that get all the you know All the mentioning. So, Chroma High was an amazing school. Yeah. So, Um, anyway, look, you know, look, it's, you know, that's the question and that's the answer. Hang on. Wasn't the question, what was your, what was your... Well, it was that night watching you go up and getting all the awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: what's interesting is at one point during, I would say around about year nine or ten, I was getting bullied very, very badly. Uh, And the bullying stuff really does form kind of the crux of Electric Blue. There's a lot of really vivid stuff in there. But I was getting bullied very badly and me and Anthony and Andre and a bunch of other people decided to wag school, which is something we'd never done, and we did, and I felt so guilty about it, I kinda of fessed up to mum and dad straight away. And because they knew what I'd been through, they were like, Yeah, it's fine. And I was expecting to get yelled at, but they were just they just did not give a shit because they understood the context and I was just very lucky to have good parents at that point. Um mm. you know. And
3: also, you know, in, in my limited experience as a as a parent I say limited, I'm I'm of course joking, but um, you know, when your kids ever come to you, no matter what they've done, just make sure you, you know, don't don't go too hard on them and be very, very grateful that they've actually come to you because um, we always encouraged our kids to be very open and honest and, you know, I was the exact opposite growing up because, you know, my father was so incredibly strict and I was always shit scared and I was a complete compulsive liar and a bullshit artist to sort of make sure that I... Never got into trouble, but you you get into trouble other ways. But yeah, I had a massive problem with um, telling the truth. I did a stand-up
1: show at the Comedy Festival back in about 2016 called Tell Me Lies, and it was basically about my problem being a compulsive liar. And it was kind of a very creative brain combined with a very bored brain, combined with the ADHD, combined with, you know, just trying to find excuses because I was quite lazy and all kinds of other stuff. I think I inherited your tendency to kind of, you know, um, Bullshit a lot Oh, it's Tegan Higginbotham, everybody Hi, sorry, sorry. Uh, just grabbing maybe, some, maybe. Gr- gr- No, no, you can say hi You're go? gonna go? She's gotta go I'm gonna keep this in Because I think it's organic And it's important Um, Tegan's off to do a voiceover gig Anyway, everyone Um, I'm not sure if that show finished Somewhere good I definitely didn't finish somewhere bad I mean, I would I'd be very curious as to If any of our listeners Have any stories about St. Paul's In Manly, or any recollections of that place, or if anyone goes there now and is actually wants to go, hey, actually, it's really good now. They've kind of sorted their shit out, which would be very comforting, frankly, to hear that stuff. But either way, um, dad, it's really nice to have you and mum down. Yeah, it's amazing. It's
3: weird sitting opposite you, Paul. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's because we've, we haven't worked like this Mm. in a year. That's 12 months, folks. Yeah. That's a lot of podcasts. So I'm sort of sitting with Paul, looking at his incredibly bright shirt and, um, I can hear the train, I can see the train out the window. We are very close, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I can actually see people sitting down, individuals in individual seats on the train. I wonder how many of them are listening to the Loose Units right now. Anyway, listen, I really, everyone, I love, I love Melbourne. For those of you, I mean, if you want to come to a city that is so different to Sydney, mm. come to Melbourne. And for those overseas that haven't been to Australia, Melbourne is fantastic. Um, I love it. It's got, we went out for dinner last night. It was, it was one of the great, um, dining experiences, mainly seafood. Yeah. It was Matilda 159. This, again,
1: this episode is not sponsored by Melbourne or by Matilda, but honestly, it's been such a great few days. We did the, you know, we, it's, it's been really wonderful. Mm. Um, mom and dad are going to be here for a few more days. Uh, but hopefully this is the first of many trips and hopefully dad and I can get back to doing live shows pretty soon. Um. But either way, next week, we're going to get back to, you know, normal episodes. Dad revealed something bizarre last night at dinner. He revealed that he worked in VKG for a few years in the uh, basically radio room, taking all the really intense traumatic calls. And he's got all these other stories he's never told from that era. So we're going to get him to kind of pull some of those out of the bag. And things are going to get pretty exciting. So thank you so much for listening to this very strange, very live episode of Loose Ends. And we'll see
3: you next week. Dad, you know what to do. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Cheerio. B- Wonderful. Thank you. Bye bye. Cheerio. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
2: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.